Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Jonathan Krzbowski, who is the CMO and co-founder of Penji. Jonathan, how are you today? I am doing absolutely amazing. How about yourself? Dude, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to have you. I'm stoked to, to chat. I'm glad we got a little bit connected before this. And yeah, just really excited to hear what you have to share about your company growth. And you also have a podcast, which I may ask you about later, but just wanted to jump right in. And maybe as a way of getting started, you can tell the world a little bit about Penji and what you guys do over there. What we do is we are an on-demand graphic design service delivered to people all at one flat monthly rate. And businesses hire us to become their ancillary. So if they need additional graphic design support because they don't want to hire somebody in particular, they may not have the resources or funds to actually do it. Another aspect of it would be maybe they don't have the resources or funds and they just want to hire their first. We work with them as well. We work with startups, agencies, internal marketing teams, and we can deliver Logos, business cards, infographics, websites, apps, the list goes on and on. And we do it as many times as we can. So if you have 100 projects, we will get to as many of those 100 projects as we humanly possibly can in the month. Whatever we don't get done, it'll move over to the second month and so on and so forth. So businesses hire us to do all of their graphic design needs. Awesome. And then, you know, it looks like you've been running a company a couple of years without getting into too much detail. Can you give me a high level synopsis of, you know, how many people you got on your team and, and how they're distributed? We have 50 people company wide. We're a 24 by 7 service. So some of them are here in, in the office because we have the nine to five, so to speak, uh, in order to account for. But then we also have people that are remote that have to, that make the service 24 by seven. So uh, a combination of here in Camden, New Jersey, which is where we're, we're headquartered, uh, and then people throughout the, throughout the world. That's awesome. Okay. So in terms of, you know, being a co-founder and I know you have a CEO, uh, CEO and then you're, you know, running the, the marketing function. Can you tell me about like some of the learnings that you went through in terms of building the company and more specifically, you know, what are some of the takeaways that our listeners can have in terms of either, you know, creating a strategy that works or developing and building a team, whether that's a remote team or a local team, what are the things that you found have worked there? So I'm a seven-year, eight-year-long entrepreneur, and I've had a lot of success. Uh, well, it's way more failure for sure. What I realized the other day, and it's re- weird that this question has come up this week, is I literally just had a conversation about it uh, with my co-founder, and we were talking about just like treating people like humans. And I know this sounds really silly, and I know it sounds like really elementary, so to speak, but the fact that we're able to just legitimately treat somebody the way that they should be treated and want to be treated, I think is so incredibly powerful. And what we're doing is every time that we try to hire somebody, we ask them one very specific question, two specific questions, excuse me. What is your dream and how can we help you get there? And the answers to the questions, if you have a dream, Uh, If you don't have a dream, obviously, there's a strong chance that you may not actually be a good fit for us. But if that dream is something that we believe that we could help you with, 
then we would be foolish to not at least think about bringing you on as a team member. And so that's just the basic. But when it comes to just like growing, like we don't call our employees employees. We call them team members. We've never even, that wasn't even something that we did by like on purpose. We just did it by accident. We're no better than the people that we, that we hire. Yes, they technically work for us. You know, we can go down that rabbit hole if you so choose, but we are a team. We're a very tight knit team. We work together. We have common goals. We're very transparent with our team in terms of like our revenue. We, we are transparent. We tell them in terms of who we're hiring and why we're hiring. We're transparent. We're transparent in the sense of how much we make and how much if they want to discuss it, that's up to them. But how much we make in particular in terms of co-founders. So I think it's just that openness, that transparency. It doesn't work for all companies. It doesn't work for all personalities, but it has worked really well for us. Yeah, I got that. So, you know, what is your dream? How can we help you get there? So making sure that on the onboarding process, there's alignment and and culture alignment and values alignment and vision alignment. And then that way, as managers, you have a, a way to support them and help make that happen. And then transparency from an organizational perspective in terms of your, your management style. So we dig into the transparency aspect, you know, from a, like you got a team of 50. It's not a small team. There's a lot of things to manage and it's 24 seven. So in your opinion, what do you think being transparent has a, like allowed you to do? Or what does that make? How does that make your experience as a, as a CMO and as a co-founder? I, I would say that it allows the team members to work harder because we're growing rapidly, which is a very blessed feeling to have. But I think by being that transparent and being that that team mentality, it might be the inner millennial in me, who knows? But I think it, it allows the opportunity for people to work a little bit harder knowing that we want to get there together. And then in addition to that, I, I think it's they take ownership of the role. By giving them the opportunity to, I guess, pass, fail uh, at their leisure, and giving them like a, a, a project that they own themselves that they came up with. We're not quick to turn ideas down. And I can kind of give you a perfect example if you so choose of, of a great example for that. I'll just briefly hint at it. We had an idea the other day where we were coming up with a vending machine for a, uh, a trade show, a couple of trade shows. And we we're all like, this is a crazy idea. Like, there's no way this is going to work. And then we started thinking about it and we just let the person own the idea create it, develop it, process you the, the experience of it, and it end up being one of the coolest and most successful projects that we've ever done to date. I'm coming back from this yesterday, and we collected like hundreds of, e- of, of business cards. In comparison to all the other people that were doing it, we're only able to collect like maybe a handful, but because of that differentiation and because of that initial idea and because of the ownership from that team member, they now want to uh, work a little bit harder on that project in order to see it to completion and make sure that they don't fail and they they're not embarrassed if it does. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like not only like not only do you embrace that from a philosophy, but then there's a clear path for people to take in terms of hey, how how can they contribute? How can they make a difference? And you give them you know opportunities and space to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the resources. Yeah, like what what do you need in order to make this this possible? And and it could be like a weird vending machine idea that we came up with, but it could be like a sales tactic too. From a leadership standpoint, you have to realize that you're not the smartest person anymore, and you're hiring these people to do jobs that you're not able that you're not capable of doing, or maybe you just can't do it anymore. So you need to be able to sit sit back and relax and say, well, I hired this particular person for a reason. They have a particular set of skills. That's why we brought them on. They may not be the most polished person in the world in order to take that job over, but 
at least they're able to figure it out. And they may not be like a Harvard graduate, but you know what? They're going to be able to work just eight times as hard uh, in order to make sure that it's done correctly, even if it's not executed as if that like a an incredibly intelligent IQ, high brain uh, individual might be able to do in a quicker fashion. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. So yeah, having the right, well, again, it's the values and the culture versus, you know, skill and aptitude. One of the talks I've been doing recently is called Why Alignments. It's about the opportunity of strategic planning. And one of the things that I talk about is really that if you do alignment well or you follow our process, that you can, you create a system that allows people to make that contribution because they're, like you said, that team mentality, they're everybody's trying to, you know, take ownership of the role because they have a clear, uh, your scoreboard and you as a manager have given them trust and communicated that trust for them to buy in and, and make a contribution uh, to the company. So that's really cool to hear that you're doing that. And it sounds like it's really successful. What I'd love to ask in a sort of like, you know, choose your own adventure question in terms of being able to put that contribution in place, like allow people to contribute and, and make that difference. Do you have a formalized system or if it's like informalized, like you do morning scrums, how do you solicit that feedback? Like how do you get people to present their ideas for validation and what have you? And then on, uh, on a different track, what sort of processes do you have in place for communication, broadly speaking, within the organization to support your 50 employees or 50 team members and all of your customers and all of the remote nature of your business? So, yeah. Every three months, we have a review for our team members. And we ask them, how are we doing as leaders? How is the support team doing? What can we do better? But then at the same time, we do ask them at the end and say, like, what can we do better as a leadership team in order to better support you? And sometimes we get answers like, we need more coffee in the in the office, right? Or it could be something a little bit more specific like, hey, I'm trying to support family and I love to be uh, compensated, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z uh, from a sales perspective. And then there's other aspects of just like self-reflection. So what we do is we start the review from a three-month standpoint and just give them honest feedback based off of their progression. And then again, we ask that question. Another aspect of it is that every Friday we have a company-wide meeting. And I know, again, people might be thinking to themselves, that takes a lot of time. Oh, my gosh. Like, how are they making money at that? And I just think that it's that's just the company culture that we've built. And that level of just, like, communication with team members, they, they break into silos. So it's not just, like, the full company. But the design team will work with the design team leaders and they'll have a conversation to review the week. The dev team will have that. The sales team will have their own little meeting. And then, uh, you know, the executive team will have theirs in addition to collaborating with some of the other uh, team members in the company. So then, that, again, that happens every Friday. And something else that we've done that I also think is pretty cool is weekly reviews. So we kind of do like a diary and we write a weekly review where we just like recap the week, like how do we do in sales? How are your prospects doing? Because that's my job. My job is primarily to generate revenue for the company in addition to like leading that team in the, in the, the marketing aspect of it. So just having a clear expectation from a sales perspective, like who do we need to talk to next week in order to make sure that we're educating them about the benefits of Penji. But that also does company wide because some people might, and, and the executive team, believe it or not, does read, read most of the, uh, if not all of them, 
on a weekly basis, just figuring out what more can we do in order to support them. Because we've realized that if we don't support them, then they're not, they're not able to obtain like what what we want to do. Like from a from a, a co-founder's perspective, we're not able to achieve our dreams if we're not able to help them achieve. And theirs. do you do that? So you write this weekly review and you send it out to them, sort of like a like an update kind of deal. Yeah, and they can review it if they want, or they cannot review it. But I still do it. I still do it from the standpoint of like, it's more for me, if anything else. And again, I'm transparent in the aspect of like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. So if I'm doing bad, I'll say it. And here's why I'm doing bad. If there's opportunities for somebody else to grow, and that's what I wrote in my particular thing, like I'll, I'll put that in there too. Anybody has access to it, whether they read it or not, it's up to, it's up to them. But I, I, I do, I do submit it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's awesome. I've actually, I have yet to, I mean, I, I don't ask everybody every single little thing that they do, but I think that's really cool because, you know, I used to play in a soccer league and the managers of the soccer league would send a recap of the game. And even though we were at the game, like, A, it was part for fun, but it sort of gave you like a sense of like completion. Like you were able to just like, not exactly measure up, but you're like, okay, this is how it went. And it gave you a sense of like sort of satisfaction. And then in a way it sort of tied it up in a little bow to say, great, like, on to the next one without letting things like fester too long. And that's one of the things I see in organizations is that whether they review their strategic planning only once a year or they do, you know, they talk to their employees once every six months in a really structured fashion that you have like so many things that can go off the rails or little things like you said in the, in the personal life that come up in an instant. It's like, oh, if somebody's dealing with something at home and you don't hear about it for four months, that means that person is out of the game just a little bit for four months and it impacts their their ability to be successful and their ability to contribute to the team, which is ultimately your job as a leader. Yeah, and I do think there is a has to be some form of balance without getting like too into their lives because there needs to be that separation. But, you know, we try to at least let them know that, hey, you don't got to talk about it, but just know that we're there. And I think... I think that level of trust that has been built because of that has allowed us to, I, and again, this is a speculation in my opinion. I don't think these are the types of conversations that there's no empirical data behind it. So we can just speculate, but I, I personally believe that by being there for them, at least having that, letting them know that we're there, I, I think does build towards great conversations. Well, I think, I mean, and it goes back to your overwhelming or your overarching philosophy, which is treating people like humans, you know, and actually recognizing that they're not just a cog in a wheel, even though sometimes it could feel like that, but actually recognizing, you know, that's who they are. That's what's important to them. Yeah. And it goes back to the, well, yeah, it goes back to the initial question. Like, what is your dream? If somebody comes up to us and they're like, well, I want to be able to change the world, Right. I want to change the world. I want to. I want to make two hundred thousand dollars a year, and I want to be able to have nice cars and nice clothes, and et cetera, et cetera. Like if that's somebody's goal, now you know what that motivating factor is. Now you can have better conversations with that person because you, from the gate, you know what they're what they're about. Like you know why they're here. I'm here to learn because I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay, then let's have a conversation and let's cater the conversations that we have from like a development standpoint. How can you be a better entrepreneur when you decide to, to leave here and create your own company? So like it, it's just more intimate conversations that are like that go back to the original idea of why you're here in the first place. And it doesn't necessarily even have to come up in the standpoint of like, well, this is why you came here. It, it could just be like the themes like, 
hey, you, I heard you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you want to run your own agency uh, someday in the future. You can just hint at it in other various ways, but at least having the understanding and knowing that person and what their clear intentions are, I think, I think is a really great way to just understand the person on the other side. So if you are a senior leader, if you are a middle manager listening to this podcast, what I invite you to take away is, and you know, we've had other people share on this before, but is really what kind of questions and what kind of questions work for you that'll help you better understand your people. And I think you'll find that the more you understand your people, the easier it will be to motivate them. And it's easier for them to recognize that you care because, you know, I know that Sometimes if we don't get that validation at times, maybe this is our the millennial side coming out as well. But, you know, sometimes you need that that motivation, that certainty, that uh, feedback that you're knowing a good job, doing a good job. Or conversely, if you're not doing a good job, you know, a lot of people really want to know. And where I see the gap is that there's no structures, there's no system, there's no process in place to make that happen. Or if there is a process, then I invite you to look in your team and saying, is the process sufficient? Is it actually, you know, providing the maximum results? Maybe you do a 360 review at the end of the year, but, you know, to Jonathan's point is, you know, doing it every three months or checking in every week and allowing people to get more insight on a more frequent basis, I think you'll you'll find that you'll get huge dividends from it. So if you're a manager there, you know, what I'm hearing from Jonathan is really as you talk to your people, see what's important to them, you know, let them know that, what's important to them is important to you. And then as a leader manager, you're more likely to get people on your team following you. And as you know, as John Maxwell says, if nobody's following you, then as a leader, you're just going for a walk. So, you know, take time to see, hey, are your people actually following you? Or are they just like doing what you say, because they have to? You have to also cater. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it by saying you have to cater to your personality. I would say a couple of years ago, I wouldn't be able to to even understand these types of questions that I'm asking because I wasn't mentally prepared for it. I was so selfish that like I just was telling people like asking I was asking people questions without actually caring about the answer. That's another fundamental too. like if you're if you don't if you if, you, if that's not your personality, then just do something different. Like, I don't know what it is, but like for me, I, I, I came to the self-realization that once we started hiring people, that now my life, it's no longer about me anymore. And we don't have funding. We're, we're boot, we're, I wouldn't say we're bootstrapped. We're cash flow positive. We've always been cash flow positive. We've built this company from zero to 50 people and over a thousand customers by ourselves. So there isn't like some crazy structure that we have or like some remedy or some formula that you just plug and play. This has come from just like years of just failure and just years of just understanding what has worked and looking at what hasn't worked and then just like changing as a man, right? Just me changing as a human being and realizing that like, man, like I've been selfish for so many years and that's what hasn't gotten me there. That was that hasn't gotten me to the promised land, so to speak. And then now it's like, okay, switch to focus. It's more about them. It's more about the customer than it is about you. And it's from that moment on, it, it's single handedly changed our lives. You talked about you know your development as a leader. You know, going from you know presumably solopreneur or whatever, and then like building this team and, and changing your approach to your own leadership. What kind of stuff? 
do you do to develop yourself as a leader? So actually like doing the work on yourself. Um, what kind of stuff do you, do you put in place and what would you recommend that you found has worked for everybody else that's listening to the podcast who may be leading teams and leading people? Yeah, that's this question. This answer is not going to be sick. Like I destroy myself, <laughs> both physically and mentally. Uh, you know, obviously not harm to myself, but when I say physically, I just mean like I work out. I love releasing my energy in those ways, and so like I found an oasis that allows me to just become more clear. And I know that's not necessarily the answer that you may be looking for, but I think it's so important to make sure that you have that clarity, that you can now come back to the business after a long, stressful day and be able to think just as clear as you did when you started. That's definitely number one. I think um, emotionally I tear myself down because I'm looking at all the past failures and I'm like, I'm doing the same thing that I did again. I'm going down that same rabbit hole. I'm going down that same thought process. And I need to be able to be like, I just need to be able to stop for a second, just be like, you know what, I'm doing the same thing that I did before. And then write it, like maybe write it down. Like there are times where I'm like, I, I write some things down where I was quick to judge, right? Or uh, I'll, I'll find like patterns in my day, or maybe I responded too quickly to an email when I shouldn't have. I'll write that down in like a like a journal or like I'll make a mental note on like my to-do list. And I, and just that ability to just write it down and be able to see it at a later day and just be able to like, damn, man, like I did that earlier today. That sucks. Like I need to stop doing that. And then obviously if, if you continue to do it, then shame on you. But I just think that like that clarity, you just need to find ways to be mentally clear. And then the practices, and you just need to be able to apply it too. So, I mean, those are really small things. Again, like, I don't think that people are going to like the answers and they're not going to be able to apply it to themselves. And I do apologize for that. But I just think that for me, those are the things that, that have worked well. Well, one of the things I saw on your on your podcast, which was cool, the Blind Entrepreneurship Podcast, if you're looking for some other uh, podcasts to, to listen, but one of the things you had put in terms of your entrepreneur resources was Headspace and just, you know, looking at meditation in terms of how that impacts you. But what I heard out of all the stuff, whether that's going to the gym physically or, you know, working out mentally. So in meditation and reflection, like you're doing self-review, all of those things allow you to like, you're filling yourself up. And one of the concepts I believe is that you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're not taking care of yourself, you cannot try to to give to somebody else, to contribute to somebody else. It's impossible. So what I heard in all of those things that you had shared was, you know, one of your best practices is, is really taking care of yourself first so that you can support the other people on your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to be, you need to be mentally, physically fit. <laughs> Simple as that. You don't have to be the most shape, in shape person or only have to be shredded, so to speak, but like you need to be able to last a while. Like uh, employees or team members like come and go, but like you're there forever. So you need to be able to just like stand the test of time when when you go through those peaks and valleys of uh, success and failure. And yeah, that mental, physical toughness. And it, because it's tough, it can be, you know, I'm seeing a lot of CEOs lately that are exhausted. And I don't, it, like, it's stress and all that stuff. And then there's nothing wrong with it. But it, I think it is becoming, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship burnout, we more and more talk about mental health. And it's, you know, creating a community, creating awareness, creating a process, creating a system that not only your employees are taking care of, but, you know, the, the, the big dogs at the top are really taking care of themselves because, they have people relying on them. You know, if, if something happened to you or anybody on your team, you know, that, that has a really big impact on, on livelihoods. So you sort of have a responsibility to take care of yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's your that's your job. That what you do nine to five is what you do to grow the business. But like, what you do outside of that, outside of that, needs to be for yourself. Like, I, there are days where I'm just like freaking drained, man. Like, I just like, like even right now to this day, uh, I have like a headache in my left eye. It, it, don't worry, there's no like higher thing that's going on. It's just like a headache. And I know that this weekend, I was like, as soon as I felt that coming on, I was like, I need to book a massage. Like, I, I, I need to do something about it. Like, even though I'm doing all the, the fun stuff, like, I'm, I'm trying to work out every single day. I, I try to do headspace uh, or some type of meditation every single day. Some days I do, some days I, I, I don't. For the most part, at least I work out. But you have to go be able to, beyond that, and, like, treat your body. Like, do, I do acupuncture sometimes. I'll do, like, massage therapy sometimes. And that's just, like, a higher level thing that you just need. Like, you just need to, I can't stress it enough. I don't want to keep going down this rabbit hole, but like you can't, I can't stress it enough. If you take care of yourself and you are the embodiment of that, so again, being a leader means you demonstrate leadership. If you take care of yourself and you are visibly taking care of yourself, then your people will take care of yourself. And, you know, talk about corporate wellness programs and all that stuff. It's really like they're going to see the importance of it because you're going to demonstrate what it is. If you're burning yourself out, your team is going to burn yourself out. Like you have to be the demonstration of what you want, the embodiment of it. And that's you know, that's leadership. So thank you so much, Jonathan. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they uh, learn more about what you're doing and, and what you're taking on in the world? Yeah, the best thing to do is just head over to penji.co. If you have any, if you're anything I said was relatable, you vibed a, at least a little bit with what it is that, that we believe here at Penji, um, it would be an absolute honor for you to trust us with your graphic design. So just head over to penji.co. It's P-E-N-J-I.co. That's penji.co for uh, unlimited graphic design support at a flat monthly rate. That's awesome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today has been Jonathan Grzbowski, who is the chief marketing officer and co-founder of Penji. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Please share with a friend, rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and I look forward to sharing with you in the next episode. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor, and this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Until next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our Strategic Planning Toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.